Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our text today is going to be taken from the reading we just heard in the prophet Isaiah for this Trinity Sunday. We begin with the word of prayer. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you have gathered us here to worship in your presence this day. And we thank you, Lord, that you have sent your Son into our midst by the power of your Spirit so that we might hear your word in truth and believe. Now, Lord, we pray that as we hear this text from Isaiah, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Can you imagine that scene we just read from Isaiah today? The overwhelming glory of it all? There are the angels singing in the presence of the holy God. Holy, holy, holy. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit sitting on the throne, surrounded by the seraphim and the cherubim, singing his praises and worshiping God in all of his glory. It would be an incredible thing to see, overwhelming, quite frankly. You have these angels who sit there and sing these doxologies and reflect the glory of God. The whole building is just shaking because of what is taking place in this moment it is a beautiful and overwhelming and glorifying scene holy 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 the angels sing until they're suddenly interrupted by a sinner by someone speaking up in the midst of a celebration who really has no business being there for you and i can imagine what this scene might be like but isaiah the prophet he himself saw it. He was there. And the beauty and the glory and the majesty and the awe of it all, well, it was the death of him. Because Isaiah knew he was a sinner in the presence of a holy God. He says, woe to me. It's a funeral song he sings. Woe to me. For I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. This holy presence of God is the death of Isaiah because of his sinfulness. Now it is interesting to note for us today the nature of the sinfulness that Isaiah confesses here. He says, I am a man of unclean lips. And actually, that's kind of a surprising thing for him to confess. Because if you think about it for a second, this uh, confession from Isaiah is coming up in the sixth chapter of his book. Up to this point, we have five other chapters where Isaiah has been going around and he has been preaching. And he has been preaching the word of God with those lips. And he's been preaching faithfully. He's been preaching the right words. He's been walking around sinful Israel, exposing their sins and calling the people to repent. He's doing everything he's supposed to do. He's saying everything he's supposed to say. He's doing it in the right way. And because he is right, we might think, he is reflecting the glory of God with those lips. After all, Israel needs to hear of their sin. This is a point in Israel's history where things are going off the rails and the sinfulness is running rampant. And they need a preacher to come along and put them back on the right path. After all, unlike the angels, Israel has begun to worship itself and glorify itself and sing its own praises with its own choir. Israel has become quite idolatrous. 
they've begun to worship false gods. So Isaiah comes along and says, listen, if you want to trust the false gods, God is going to turn you over to them. And we'll see if they can protect you. We'll see if they can provide for you since they don't exist. Isaiah is found with these people who are trusting other nations to protect them and provide for them besides the true God. And Isaiah says, look, maybe you can go trust those nations and God will leave you in their hands. We'll see how that goes for you. Isaiah sees the culture falling apart. He sees the immorality. He sees the lack of faith in God. He sees all of it. And you know that he goes to bed at night terrified over what he sees. Yet I also wonder if Isaiah doesn't go to bed at night terrified by what he sees, but saying to himself, you know, this place is falling apart, but at least I'm okay. At least I know I'm right, because I'm saying all the right things. My lips are clean. Now, I don't know if Isaiah went to bed thinking that. However, I do think we certainly have that problem in our own day and age. Because we are uh, the people of God here in the midst of this world full of a lot of sinful people. And we've been called, just like Isaiah, as the church to go out and proclaim the truth of God's word. And there are many among us who believe we need more Isaiahs today, right? We need more of a prophetic voice to go out into the culture and to decry all the sinfulness we see around us. We need a proud and bold Isaiah to stand up and speak the truth. And many believe it is the church's responsibility, the church's role, to proclaim that truth. The church is to be the Isaiah of our day. We need to go out as the church and decry all the institutional racism that we see around us. It is us as the church who must stand up and fight against those who would undermine God's creation of marriage and uh, uh, the order and creation and design of humanity. It is upon us as the church to stand up and fight for the rights of the unborn. We must take a stand against the debauchery and disrespect for authority that we find in the media. And to be honest, those things aren't wrong. Those certainly are all sins that need to be dealt with. They're all sins that need to be confronted. And it is our responsibility as the church to speak out against sin in all forms that it takes. Certainly. We're, like Isaiah, witnessing a time in which our culture is going off the moral rails. Things seem to be falling apart. And so we look at this and we cry out against it, we speak out against it, or at least we post something on Facebook against it to make us feel good about ourselves. But then we put our heads down on our pillows at night and think, boy, everything's falling apart. But hey, at least I'm right. At least I'm on the right side. And my hands aren't dirty with this. After all, I reflect the glory of God in my rightness, and my lips are clean. That's, I'm afraid, far too often how we think. And we get there because what we're doing is we like to compare ourselves with the people around us. And by means of comparison, we say, hey, I'm better than that person over there by my standards, therefore I must be right and they must be wrong. Well, I don't know if Isaiah was thinking that way, but if he did have that thought in his head, as soon as he entered, entered into the holy presence of God, that thought was killed dead. Because though he may have looked far more righteous and holy than the people around him, when he stood in the presence of the holy God, 
His righteousness was completely undone, and he was dead. Because he himself saw himself for who he truly is. A man with unclean lips. From among a people of unclean lips. In other words, he's no greater than all of those other sinners that he sees around him. As he stands before the presence of the holy God, he recognizes the truth that he is just as sinful as everybody else around him. No matter how right he was, before God, he stood as a sinner. And the right words spoken from a sinful mouth are yet sins. And all of Isaiah's righteousness and holiness and rightness was nothing but a pile of filthy, stinking, maggot-ridden rags compared to the holiness that he was witnessing at that time. And that's what Isaiah knows. He knows this glory is the death of him so that he cries in fear, interrupting the praise of the angel. Now, what we need to learn here and what we need to think about here, I think, this morning is, is this reality that Isaiah is facing in the text. There is a danger for you and I who know the Lord and know the Word of God, those of you, you and I who are baptized and are Christians, there is a great danger for us when we live in a time and a place where sin and unbelief are running rampant. You and I have a tendency to grow very proud and very self-righteous. Because we know the truth of God's word, we begin to look around at everyone else around us as if they are wrong, and whether we want to say it or not, uh, whether we want to say it this way or not, I think it's true, we look on them as, they, though, as though they are wrong and inferior to us. So we take it upon ourselves to prove to them how wrong they are, not by necessarily calling them to repent and showing them the mercy that comes to us from the Lord Jesus Christ, but by showing them how right we are, because we love to feel right. We love to feel like we're doing it the right way, and the best way to do that is to find someone else who's doing it wrong and make myself look better than them. I'll put them in their place and make myself feel far more righteous. We don't speak the truth in love for our wayward neighbor. We speak the truth because it feels good for us and makes us feel right. We feel, we'll go so far as to start to say, is that we do this and we begin to reflect the glory of God. What we have so often forgotten is that as we stand before God, when God judges you for your light, he's not going to do so comparing you to other people. Well, Jeff, you weren't as bad as Pastor Bob. You're going to be just fine. Like, that's not how it works when you stand before God which is true, you're not as bad as me. Uh, this is not how it works. God's not going to judge you in your sinfulness compared to other people's lesser sins. He's going to judge you in comparison with his law. And what do you find when you're compared to God's law? That you are undone. That you are just as sinful as everybody else that you look down upon. You are just as sinful as everybody else that you judge. As you stand before the presence of a holy God, your sin is no better than their sin. And if you want to be judged before God on how right and holy and righteous you are, you are dead. For your good works are nothing but a pile of filthy rags if you're putting your trust in them. And it gets you nowhere before God. It leaves you with Isaiah, 
dead and undone. We like to say it this way, you cannot justify yourself by your works. There's no hope there. So we all who believe we need a lot more Isaiahs in our day, well, good news, I guess. We're a room full of them. A sanctuary full of Isaiahs in the presence of a holy God this morning. A people with unclean lips who dwell among a people of unclean lips. But that's not where the account ends, is it? There's more that actually takes place in this text. Isaiah is there crying out, singing his funeral dirge. This is the death of him, and he knows it. But it's always right there. It's always right there at the end of us where we have nothing left, where we, for all intents and purposes, find ourselves to be dead before God, that God can now finally begin to do something with us. And so you have this marvelous scene where Isaiah is sitting there crying out in fear, dying in the presence of the holy God, and one of the angels takes note. And this angel then leaves the heavenly chorus and does something now that reflects the glory of God more than anything else in the whole text. The, the, the angel sees Isaiah there, and he flies down, and he brings with him a, a pair of tongs, and he goes over to uh, this place of sacrifice, this altar where there's these fiery coals, and what you would do in the temple is you would take the sacrifices, and, and you would put them on the fiery coals, and you would burn them up to God, so they were a sweet-smelling sacrifice to God. So uh, the, the, the angel goes to the place of sacrifice, and he takes these tongs, and he grabs one of the coals. And from the place of sacrifice, he flies over to Isaiah, and he places the coal in mercy, in kindness, and love, and a little bit of pain on Isaiah's lips. And he says with complete compassion, See, this, this coal from the place of sacrifice, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. And your sin is atoned for. The angel did not stop singing the glories of God in that moment. He just began to sing those glories of God into the ears and into the hearts of Isaiah as he granted him, or proclaimed to him, I should say, the forgiveness of his sins. And it is in this moment that this angel's actions most reflect the glory of the God the angel praises because it is God's glory to grant forgiveness to sinners. It is God's glory to show mercy and compassion. And would you look at that? Now this is what he has done for you. You and I who all think we need more Isaiahs in our day and we realize that we are a room full of Isaiahs, well today you get the same treatment from the Lord that Isaiah received. We are a room full of Isaiahs who will now receive the mercy and grace of our God. Only, it's, it's actually better than this. You have to realize this. You get something better than Isaiah got that day. On that day, an angel came down with a fiery coal. Now, we ran out of coals this morning, so we're not going to use them. Besides, you all have masks to prevent the coals from doing anything for you anyhow. And nonetheless, what we get is something great. For no angel is going to come to you and touch you with a fiery coal today. No, the Lord Jesus Christ himself looks down upon you this day and comes to you in compassion and mercy. The Lord Jesus Christ, who left his throne room in heaven to put on our flesh so that he might go to the cross and turn that cross into the place of sacrifice. 
And there, as he offered up his life to God, his body was broken and his blood was shed for you so that all of your sins were forgiven. Now that he has done this, God has raised him from the dead and seated Christ at his right hand. And from there, Christ sees you today. And instead of sending an angel to deliver to you something from the place of sacrifice, Jesus Christ has decided to do something greater. He's going to give you his own body and his own blood the very body and blood that were sacrificed for you. And as you come to the altar today and you eat his body and you drink his blood and the bread and the wine, Jesus will be there. And his message to you is the same message that the angel spoke to Isaiah. You see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is atoned for and your sin is taken away. There in the eating and the drinking of the body and blood, your sins are forgiven, and you are washed clean and set free. Guilt is atoned for. Your sin is taken away. And now you purified Isaiahs have something else to say. I love the next part of the account where after Isaiah's lips are purified and he's dead and then he's, uh, or excuse me, after he's sort of for all intents and purposes, dead, and then his lips are purified and he is declared righteous, he is justified before God by God's mercy, he then stands up and he says, I'm ready to go to work. God says, who am I going to send to preach my uh, message? And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. Now you, Isaiahs, you have a message to take forth, just like the old Isaiah did. A message of grace. A message of mercy and love that can actually clean up this foul-mouthed world. And it's not a message where you go forth in self-righteousness, proclaiming to people how right you are in all of your views. No. It's a message where we go forth proclaiming the forgiveness of sins for life and salvation on account of Jesus Christ. You and I reflect the glory of God. Not in our morality and how righteous we are. That's kind of a joke. No, we reflect the glory of God in announcing the forgiveness of sins and showing mercy to a world that has worked against us. You have been given lips to proclaim not how right you are, but how merciful and gracious God is. Even to those sinners that you despise the most. Even to those sinners that you believe are ruining the world around you. For you see, Jesus Christ has mercy only for sinners. That's right. Even sinners like you. So come today to the altar and receive this message from Jesus Christ as you eat his body and drink his blood. You see, this has touched your lips. Your sins are taken away and your guilt is atoned for. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, have mercy upon us. Forgive us for our pride. Forgive us for our self-righteousness. We beg you, O Lord, to give us of your Son, Jesus Christ, who offered his life on our behalf and now comes to us in the bread and the wine to forgive us and sustain us. Grant us your Holy Spirit. Make us bold in proclaiming his truth. And Lord, sustain us into life everlasting. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.